more vegetables. Amazing! And instead of cooking with butter tonight, I think I'll saute our veggies with a heart-healthy oil. You're a genius! So really, would your food choices pay off in heart health? Did you know that when you replace bad fats with healthier fats, like those in canola or other vegetable oils, it can lower bad cholesterol levels, and that's good for your heart. Here's a winning idea. Take up the challenge for good health, because the you of the future will say, Fantastic! Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info proudly supports the American Heart Association's Face the Fats campaign. Hi, I'm Graham, inventor of the Sneak Guard. Our homes are full of adventurous snoopers. They go through everything until they find something they like. Children, roommates, babysitters, teens, pets, you name it. Snoopers are everywhere. Sneak Guard is the world's first purpose-built locking vacuum storage container, designed to protect snoopers from the unintended ingestion of medications and more. Safe, responsible storage. Available now at sneakguard.com. S-N-E-A-K-G-U-A-R-D.com. Listening to RNCN, the number one source for premium talk radio. Let's Talk More podcast series. This is the Monday after my Sunday evening show, which is called America Can We Talk? And you know what, folks? I have to. This Today is September 12th of 2016, so it's the day after the 15th anniversary of the September 11th uh, terrorist attacks in America. And I want to spend just this first segment talking a little bit about how we... Um, how we remember it rightly and and how what we do about the memory of 9-11 i mean so many of us recall exactly where we were and what happened that day and, and what we were doing we heard about it and all the emotion we felt and you know i think that there and many commentators have pointed out there was for a short period of time after those 9-11 attacks there was a pulling together of america as never before as, as not in decades probably as not since world war ii you know, in World War II, America as a country came together, realized we have a very serious enemy we have to defeat. It was after having, of course, a Pearl Harbor attack, and Americans as a country, I hate the word collective, but as a country, recognizing that somebody sees us as an enemy and they want to hurt us. And so we pulled together as a country, and there were just the stories of legendary from the World War II era about Americans with, you know, the donation centers and the blood drives and just endless uh, activities Americans engaged in as a group to try to help the war effort to support the American troops and who to support the defeat of the Germans, of the Nazis, and the Japanese, and the Italians. And so there was just a, a determination that we're going to win this war against this evil. Well, we had a similar feeling like that after September 11th. And I think a lot of it was, uh, we didn't, that was such an, not just only unprovoked attack, attack 
but virtually no one saw it coming. We had a feeling in America that, and I remember, I'll tell you folks, we lived in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, my husband and I did with our kids in the mid-90s, and when the first World Trade Center attack happened in 1993, if you remember, that was when the truck bomb went off in the basement or the parking garage of the 1993 of the World Trade Center, and it was recognized at that time it was some form of Islamic terrorism. I remember the conversation with my husband, and, you know, uh, we're both busy with kids and our life and all that, and, you know, not, hadn't really tuned in that much ever to, um, it's certainly not to Islam, but certainly hadn't tuned in to why anyone in that part of the world might be attacking America. I remember the conversation my husband saying, or my, me saying to him, what are they thinking, why would they do that? And, and you know, what, what is this, where are we headed with this? My husband just said, you know, they really could attack us. I mean, we, we have felt very safe in our geographic borders in continental America. We have felt safe for years and we don't feel like, uh, like countries would dare attack us, which is what I had said. They wouldn't dare do a major military assault on America. They wouldn't dare. And, you know, uh, he said, why do you think that? Why is it you say that? And, you know, it's interesting because that was 1993, which is obviously the precursor. And then we had the big attack on September 11th in 2001. And that was the first time a lot of Americans um, recognized after it was we, we discovered who the culprits were. We realized it was uh, radical Islamists, it was jihadists, it was people acting in the name of Islam. And many Americans for the first time started tuning into the, the, the religion of Islam and also the countries in the world that were their majority Islamic. We started turning, tun, tuning into thinking, you know, who are these people and why would they do that? And what about Islam inspires them to do this? So we, you know, we had a, a kind of a, a, an awakening throughout our country that we actually have people in the world who simply for no rational reason wish America ill. And so we had a, we, we came together. I mean, George W. Bush did his um, famous speech. In fact, we're going to play that clip in a moment. He did that fa famous speech, which was on September 14th. 2001, so three days after the big World Trade Center attack and the planes hitting the buildings. And George Bush, when he got up at that Trade Center um, rubble and spoke, it was really an inspiring moment, and Americans kind of rallied to him. And I, I, at that time, I had uh, friends who were, uh, our kids went to school together, so moms with kids in the same school, and, and a couple of them are big, strong liberal Democrats, very strong Democrats, who just were moved to almost tears by George W. Bush's speech, were really right with him. Him, right with the idea, even right with the idea of, of heading off to war to deal with this, to attack back, to, to retaliate against uh, and, and to invade in Afghanistan. So there was a, a sense of unity then. And uh, I want to play George Bush's comments uh, at, this, at, at this point and then talk about what's happened to that unity since that time. Do we have George Bush ready to roll? of our citizens. 
Okay, I think that's good. That was just this fabulous speech, and I don't know you. you uh, I, I'm looking at the video too as I'm doing this podcast. You can see the rubble, you see the people. People are just they're on fire. So, I want to talk in a moment about what happened in the 15 years since that time, because many commentators spoke about how America is just uh, not united. In fact, America is very divided. We're in the 2016 presidential election cycle, and we have just a very divided America, certainly between the right and the left, but even among the ranks of the American left, there's deep division, and among the ranks of the American right, deep division. And people have a sense of, well, how do we go forward from this? How do we get to be more uh, unified again? And we certainly don't want a tragedy to unify us, but we do need to recognize what it was we united around after that September 11th attack, because what we united around was an American identity. We didn't, we didn't think of ourselves as, well, I'm the, we're the Republicans who were hit by the 9-11 attack or the Democrats were hit or the liberals or the conservatives or the cities or the, you know, the rural areas. We were Americans. And so the American identity meant something that it kind of reminded us all about that American identity. Well, um, I want to tell a quick story about it. I had not, I cannot believe after 15 years of this, uh, of having anniversaries of 9-11, I had never heard this story before, but a quick story, although Kevin, do I have time? How much time do I have? I can't even, can't see the clock. Okay, he's going to tell me the answer. You have about three minutes. Three minutes. I can do this in three minutes. Okay. This is the most amazing story I'd never heard about 9-11. Just kind of another hero um, story that was a woman pilot, and I'm going to tell you her name was Heather, is Heather, last name Penny, and uh, she was a, a pilot in the United States, uh, uh, the National Guard, but she was, she was an F-16 fighter pilot, and she, on... Let's see. So on 9-11, we'd had the North Tower hit, the South Tower hit, the Pentagon hit, and they knew that this Flight 93 had veered off course. They didn't really, and they knew from phone calls, I think actually on from Flight 93, they knew that this flight had also been, had terrorist board, had been, had been, um, flight isn't kidnapped, been taken over anyway. So they knew there was trouble, Flight 93. And so this woman, this woman pilot's on the ground, on her, in her F-16 with the engine running, her hand on the rudder, with the instruction from her supervisor to take her plane up and literally kamikaze it into Flight 93, just to decide that the decision was made that the, the best plan we may have here is to simply crash Flight 93 by crashing one of our own jets into it. It was to prevent Flight 93 from hitting the Pentagon. I mean, not the Pentagon. The concern about Flight 93 was either it was going to hit the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol, or the White House. And either way, we'd already had, you know, the, both both North and South Towers, and we'd already had the Pentagon hit. And the idea was this was, this was an idea to stop Flight 93. As you know, that wasn't necessary, and the Flight 93... Um, passengers attempted to take it, the control away from the plane, and I guess they did because they ended up crashing into the, into the ground. So anyway, that was another amazing story of American heroism that day. So we're about ready to go off on our break on this podcast on the day after 9-11. But I'm going to turn to this question in the next segment, kind of like, 
Why are we ununited these days? How can we fix this unity problem in America? Because we do have an American identity, and it should be the easiest thing to unify around of all, because it's not racial, it's not ethnic, it's all about the ideas of America. You're listening to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio. We're asking folks about marriage. Marriage makes me think of sports. You know, teamwork, dedication. Okay, let's see what people say. Let's say your marriage is a sport. What sport would it be? Basketball. Surfing. They have to be a team sport. A lot of back and forth. A lot of people watching. So how many people are influenced by your marriage? Hundreds. You really think about the ripple effect. It's like a wave. (laughs) Want to improve your marriage? For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org and message from the Catholic Church. The world of real estate moves fast and technology needs to be able to keep up with it. If agents and home buyers aren't able to communicate in real time, opportunities can swiftly be missed. With Locator, the communication gap has finally been bridged. Hi, I'm David Mays, co-founder of Locator. I've been a real estate broker for the past 10 years and came from the frustration of buyers not being able to reach agents instantaneously. So that's what we created on demand. Potential buyers now have the ability to immediately connect with a nearby agent, making the home buying process quick, easy, and convenient. Locator is free to download. Just grab your smartphone, open the app, see available agents in your area, and connect instantaneously. Locator is also the perfect tool for any real estate professional. For real estate professionals, it's a lead generating monster because, you know, you could be at the office doing paperwork and you're going to be able to generate these leads in real time. Download your free version of Locator on the Apple iTunes Store today or visit the website at www.reallocator.com. Once again, it's time to check your vehicle registration sticker. We've developed some helpful ways you can remind yourself it's time to renew, like sending yourself a singing telegram. It's time to renew your vehicle registration. And Bob, we look forward to your cooperation. If you don't renew it, there'll be heartache and sorrow. And your girlfriend will leave you and your tiny dog will follow. Or you can look at the numbers on your registration sticker. This is your new Texas Department of Motor Vehicles asking, when do you renew? Are you a property owner or manager in a commercial building with a flat or slightly sloped roof? Hey, Dave Custable here with Trivan Roofing. Texas heat is brutal on roofs. What is the condition of your roof? Your roof is your first line of defense. Does your roof reflect or absorb the Texas sun? Is your roof cracked, split, or shrinking away from the edges? If you don't know, call Trivan Roofing for a complete roof analysis. We will inspect, photograph, and discuss our findings with you free of charge. Need a roof replacement? Partner with Trivan Roofing and enjoy the benefits of Duralast Roof System. Duralast has been custom fabricating single-ply roof systems for over 35 years. Duralast white material reflects heat, resists cooking grease, is Class A fire retardant, and Class 4 hail impact resistant all comes with a 15-year material and labor warranty with consequential damage coverage included. Call Drive-In Roofing now at 817-891-7313, 817-891-7313, or online at trivanroofing.com. That's trivanroofing.com. This is my car. I mean, it's nothing fancy, but it's nice. nice. Gets me to work and to the mall, though it's kind of trash with all my stuff. Stuff. I swear there must be 30 CDs laying around in my workout bag. Oh, and my laptop. Laptop. Like I said, a mess, right? It's perfect. But it's perfect for me. Good gas mileage, and once it's paid off, all mine. All mine. Hey, want to go for a drive? Let me get my purse. Just be a second. Just takes a second. Where you are, they are. Last year in Texas, car thieves stole roughly 100,000 cars and trucks and burglarized thousands more. 
They look for anything of value inside, or if you left your keys or failed to lock the doors. When you leave your vehicle, hide your things, lock your car, and take your keys. Remember, you hold the key. Okay, I'm back, and my car? Where's my car? This warning from the Texas Auto Burglary and Theft Prevention Authority. And welcome back. This is Debbie George Addis, our Let's Talk More podcast series on Monday, September 12th, 2016. This is a Monday after my Sunday night show, America Can We Talk? We are talking the last segment just about how the feeling in America is just sadly very divided in 2016, very different from where we were in uh, right after the attacks of, of 2001. And I, obviously no one on this planet wants another attack, or no one in America wants another attack to happen to unite us. So I want to talk about what can unite us, like how can we get back that feeling that we are Americans together, that we're not a divided nation, that we're not rich against poor, men against women, uh, uh, you know, racial identity group against some other racial identity group and hyphenated America against other hyphenated America. How do we get that feeling that America has some identity? And, you know, this is one of the things I talk about my radio show very often, and I will say here and, and say it all the time in my speeches, too, is that so long as you identify in politics by a hyphenated group, racial, gender, anything like that, you are inherently divided. You cannot be both united and identifying yourself by a silo group because inevitably if you are a, if I thought first I'm a Norwegian American and my husband's a Greek American, if you're thinking that way, you're thinking that I have this identity and he's the other. It's us and him. It's us against them and you have division. And this is one thing that has been extremely dangerous and unhappy and just honestly, just grotesquely unfair outcome of the kind of identity politics that become more and more popular, especially in the last 15 years. The idea that somehow your rights, your values, your view of the America, of America as a country, your view of, of law should be shaped by you know, the, the color wrapper you came in be shaped by what language your grandparents spoke in their home. The American identity, the reason it's so precious and exceptional and great is because it is not like the identity of any other country in terms of it's not ethnic, it's not racial, it's all about the ideas of America, the idea of a a society dedicated to liberty, dedicated to the actual respect for individuals and the respect for the individual's right to live their their lives freely, for each person to live his or her life freely. So this is a, we, I say this in a positive way to say America has great odds, a great opportunity to be more united. But we have to, in that effort to become more united, we have to call out when the divisions are created in this country, especially divisions created by the uh, politicians running this country. So on that note, I want to turn to playing a clip, ask Kevin here to play a clip that was from Hillary Clinton. And many of you may have heard it. It was from this past Friday where she spoke at a, let me just say the organization she spoke with. This is a Barbara Streisand hosted fundraiser, raising money from the LGBT community. She raised it was reported $6 million for this speech. And this is part of what Hillary Clinton, it's just a little tiny segment that I sent Kevin to play, a little tiny segment what Hillary had to say that evening that has raised such a uh, amount of concern in America. Mostly generalistic. You could put 
half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. But that other basket of people are people who feel the government. You know, the other basket of people, we'll save that for a minute. This is Hillary Clinton saying to at least one quarter of America that because you don't agree with her, because you support some other set of political values, you are worthy of being labeled in one of those many ugly, evil, false, lying through her teeth labels that she came up with. This speech is not the only time she said this, but in this speech, she referred to people who support Donald Trump as, and you heard the list, racist, xenophobic, blah, 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 blah. All she's really saying is she's livid that somebody dares to disagree with her policy views. And you know, this, this ability, this willingness on the part of the American left, and especially the Clintons, to simply label anyone who will not agree with them, anyone who dares to not support her, this is part of what's created division in America. It's a very reasonable policy question. Should we, should we as Americans be bringing more refugees to this country who are Islamic and they're from areas in the world where we have ex extreme violence going on, violence between Islamic sects, violence in the name of Islam against others? Should we be bringing more of those people here when we don't, we, when the FBI director has told America, I have no way to vet these people, I have no way to tell you whether any of them are going to come here to become terrorists. It's a reasonable policy discussion to have. Hillary can say, I think that, you know, we just got to bring them here. We got to do the best we can. We got to try to use our, our resources and our, uh, our federal law enforcement and national security resources to keep Americans safe. But I think we should bring them here. And Donald Trump can say, you know what? I think we need to put a temporary ban on bringing Islamic refugees to America, especially and until we can figure out whether they are going to become the next San Bernardino terrorist. You can have that discussion. But because Hillary Clinton cannot defend her policies, she resorts to what she has resorted to for decades, which is if someone doesn't agree with her, she calls them an ugly name. And she's calling you, if you're listening to this podcast, she's calling 25% of America. You know, she's calling the, the major party, uh, there, you know, there's only two major parties in this country we're going to have on November 9th, we're going to have either President Hillary Clinton or President Donald Trump. And she's talking, the, she's telling the millions and millions of American voters who chose Donald Trump. I wasn't one of them. I, well, he wasn't my choice. I voted in the GOP primary. He wasn't my choice, but he is the choice now. And Hillary's deciding that instead of defending her policy, explaining the reason, justifying her policy, she resorts to calling names. She does the same thing. She uses the term racist. What she really means is how dare anyone on the conservative side disagree with her position on voter ID, as an example. She's called people who support in election integrity, who want to have a, a picture ID required to vote. She calls them racist. She doesn't defend the merits of her arguments with points or facts. She defends herself by lobbying insults. And you know, you wonder why America's divided 15 years after 9-11? It's conduct like Hillary 
times hundreds of politicians in this country. Politicians have done much more harm than good because we, and I'm going to tell you, especially on the left, it's the left that resorts to this endless name-calling. So this is what Hil- how one way Hillary attempts to divide, and her husband has joined in the uh, team this, this time, this election cycle. Uh, Bill Clinton had, I want to play for something uh, that, for you that um, he actually said during, uh, this is the second clip of Bill Clinton for Kevin here, and just helping you here. Uh, this is some, that uh, little clip of things that uh, Bill Clinton said during, um, uh, said over the course of his political life. It's just a quick summary. I believe that together we can make America great again. To secure a better future for your children and your grandchildren and to make America great again. It's time for another comeback. Time to make America great again. Okay, folks, that was Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton's husband, in 1992 in his own presidential campaign, in 1996 in another presidential campaign, and in 2008 when he's speaking on behalf of Hillary. That's Bill Clinton using the expression, Make America Great Again. Here we are in 2016. That's a campaign slogan that Donald Trump chose. And I won't play, have Kevin play for you now what Bill Clinton said about it as he was attacking, as he's engaging the same kind of attack politics that his wife incessantly does, who Bill Clinton had to say this past uh, week. Where I'll give you America Great Again is... If you're a white sub, exactly what it means, don't you? <laughs> what it means is, I give you the economy you had 50 years ago, and I move you back up on the social totem pole and other people down. Okay, so you have to, I mean, I, I wanted to play those in that order just to point out, somehow Bill Clinton can say, make America great again in 92, 96, and 2008, and it's okay because he's a Democrat, so he can say that. Donald Trump uses exactly the same language. And what Bill Clinton is saying in that clip, he's essentially saying that the entire Make America Great Again slogan, embraced by millions and millions of Americans, is really a dog whistle signal to racists to, for them to start to believe that, you know, just elect Donald Trump and he's going he's gonna to somehow bring racist policies into play. He's going to elevate white Americans. He's going to depress the rights of other Americans. There's nothing about that what Donald Trump says. Nothing. There's nothing about his life history that says that. But this is what the left does, and he's doing this because Donald Trump has begun making speeches directly appealing for the, to the black vote in America, directly appealing to African Americans and asking them, is your life better than it was when, when President Obama came into power? Ask yourself the honest question. Donald Trump is just jumping into the political fray, having a conversation with all of America, including black Americans, about the actual impact of Democrats' policies. And because those policies are utter failures, they have created misery. Democrats' policies are utter failures, have created misery in the inner city, and they're, they're indefensible. And because Bill Clinton knows that, what he does instead is lobby the accusation of racism at Donald Trump. This, folks, is divisive, pure evil I got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk a little more about the Clintons and dividing America. You're listening to RNCN, the number one source for premium talk radio. 
Something that every business owner relies on is good advice. And that's where SCORE can help. SCORE is a nonprofit organization where we provide free business consulting services to people who want to start a business. For nearly 50 years, SCORE mentors have been helping businesses realize their dreams. What's even better than dreams is making a dream come true. Volunteer your expertise. You've got it. Share it. Volunteer your expertise today at SCORE.org. Hi, I'm Danny O'Connell. I'm partner at Benefit Resource Group, a family-owned boutique insurance agency. BRG is one of the leading boutique agencies here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Our mission is to add value to our clients' and employees' lives through creative insurance solutions. When you start going upstream to a regional or even a national-type provider, the decisions over who they're going to work with and where they're going to place their business is decided around a boardroom. A lot of times, they're not always aligning with the best service provider in the space that you actually need. Numerous times they've already made an agreement and that service provider may take for granted the service that they actually have to deliver to the client in the end and they may not always be the best in your area for your situation being a boutique we are independent we have the flexibility to go out and find the right solution specific to you it's always a good time to sit down and speak with one of our agents you can reach us at 214-750-7557 and you can find us on the web at brg-tx.com When it comes to bullying, don't validate, eliminate. Adults have the power to stop bullying in our schools. I'm Dennis Van Roekel, president of the National Education Association. It's up to us as educators, as parents, as adults, to stand on behalf of bullied kids. Help us create safe, bully-free learning environments for all students. One caring adult can make all the difference. Be that adult and take the pledge at nea.org slash bullyfree. A message from the National Education Association. Hi, my name is Gil Bonifaz, and I'm the owner-operator of Cafe Herrera at the Omni in downtown Dallas. As a fourth-generation restaurateur, we strive to bring you a new generation of Tex-Mex and to continue on the legacy that was started by my great-grandmother over 45 years ago. At Cafe Herrera, we're taking a modern approach towards Tex-Mex. From our sizzling fajita bar to our tequila craft cocktails, we strive to provide the best experience possible for all our diners and continue the legacy that was started over 45 years ago. Whether it's lunch, dinner, drinks, or catering, we'd love to see you out. Find us at CafeHerrera.com. Me. I started smoking when I was 13. I always thought when the time came, I could quit. No problem. Then at 28, I tried to go cold turkey and I found out how hard it really was. I made it all day without a smoke. <laughs> right until I met up with the guys. But I learned something that night. In fact, every time I tried to quit, there were more than a few, I learned a little more about what worked and what didn't work for me. And when I realized that I wasn't alone, that most people don't quit on their first or second attempt, I knew there was still hope. Today, I'm an ex-smoker. My only advice is to never, ever give up trying to quit. If you're trying to quit smoking, the American Lung Association is here to help every step of the way. Visit quitterinyou.org for tools, tips, and stories from smokers we've helped to finally quit for good. The American Lung Association. We support the quitter in you at quitterinyou.org. Hi, I'm Sarah Crilly. Joining me today, Ann Badmiss, partner of Sheaf and Stone and founder of the Immigrant Journey Awards, happening on June 10th. Welcome, Ann. Thank you, Sarah. So great to be here again. Our event is at the Prestonwood Country Club on June 10th, starting at 1130. We will have a guest speaker, which is the president of UTA, Dr. Fishtop Kabari, who is also an immigrant, and we'll talk about his experiences and the contributions that immigrants are making 
anything to the DFW area. Thank you so much again, and I encourage all to go to immigrantjourney.org. And welcome back. This is Debbie George Addis, our Let's Talk More podcast series. And we had our radio show last night, America Can We Talk? You know, I encourage you, whenever you listen to this podcast, to tune into our radio show, America Can We Talk? It is live in Dallas, Texas from 6 to 8 p.m. on 660 AM, The Answer, and Sunday evening, Central Time, 6 to 8 p.m., but it's live anywhere, actually, in the world. You can go to americacanwetalk.org and click on Listen Live, and you can hear the radio show wherever you are. And actually, all of our podcasts, all the interviews I do on the radio show are always available. They're available on my website, americacanwetalk.org. They're available on, and, and on iTunes and on YouTube. So I really encourage you to, you know, we just have a wealth of stories and interviews, and it's always centered around the mission of my show, and the mission of America Can We Talk is just to reinvigorate the excitement in America for the idea that America is an exceptional, great, unique country as every generation's job to keep it that way. So this is now, it's our turn to be the preservers of America's greatness. So we've been talking about what happened on September 11th, 15 years ago, and then how our country's become disunified um, since that time. And it's it's really, I mean, it's being lamented by people on both sides of the aisle. But I want to talk today, right now, about what the... um, What's really happening with the uh, NFL, and I didn't get to touch on this last night in my show. It's one reason I do these Monday podcasts is to kind of get a chance to cover things that we miss but or couldn't get to. But, you know, uh, in our family, my husband and our sons, even our daughter kind of is into football, but my husband and our sons are really into football and uh, love when, you know, fall NFL season comes around. It's always like a, it's almost like a holiday at our house when the NFL starts our season. But uh, this year we have, of course, many people have been observing that some of the um, NFL players, the National Football League players, are deciding to do something other than what is the customary thing to do when the national anthem is played prior to the start of every game, which is to stand and put your hand over your heart. This is what America does with the national anthem, what players have done for decades. But this year, it began with a quarterback of uh, San Francisco 49ers, uh, this uh, player, last name Kaepernick, who uh, decided he was not going to stand for the national anthem. And so he stayed seated, and he did it in uh, as a signal of support for the Black Lives Matter movement. And that was part of what he was, you know, he and he gave a statement afterwards. I guess he actually tried to protest a couple times and nobody noticed, um, which I think is kind of funny. But then he did get noticed, and he started a movement. And so the preseason games, or the not preseason, but the earlier games, the non-conference games were happening, and so people uh, maybe didn't notice as much. But yesterday, which was September 11th, there were many actual season-opening games. And numerous players on various teams decided to do, you know, to either not stand with a hand over their heart, to stay seated, or to come out with their arms locked, or to take a knee, to do something that was different than what you're supposed to do to uh, represent, uh, to respect the American flag. And back to our September 11th theme of this little podcast, you know, there's a difference, because what Colin Kaepernick talked about, and he, in uh, his uh, comments and some other players' comments made reference to 
some of the uh, incidents that involve the police and the uh, shooting uh, by uh, police officers in uh, different incidents around the country um, of young black men. And so they were making a protest, essentially saying, you know, this isn't really right or fair because uh, there, there are, there's a, they're claiming that there is police just brutal mistreatment. There is a practically, if you believe the Black Lives Matter movement protesters or some of them claiming that the police are just engaged in almost random violence, excessive violence against black Americans. And so in solidarity with the people who are trying to uh, take action and change that, these NFL players refuse to stand up for the flags. I want to divide this into two issues. The first issue is simply this. If you make as much money as Colin Kaepernick or any of these other NFL players, and you're really concerned about the level of crime in low-income communities in America, in inner-city America, the crime rate in, in inner-city black America is, is just, we've talked about this in these many podcasts in the past, just through the roof. If you actually care about the young people there, spend some of your millions, for example, starting a school in an inner city. Form a school, form an organization that places and plants schools in inner cities and provides scholarships so low-income Americans can attend, especially low-income Americans of color, can attend a quality school, get a good education, get a good springboard for life by graduating from high school, potentially able to enter college or enter a career that they choose. Do something positive to help the community that's having the problem. Because, you know, we, we're, I'm talking a moment about the police officer thing, but, but you as a, as a wealthy, wealthy, you know, top 1% of Americans in income, that's who these NFL players are. And the top 1% of income earners, they could be doing a lot. They are sitting back in their fancy homes and their mansions and swimming pools and, and all sorts of just massive opulent wealth. And they could actually be doing something to solve the problems in the inner city that are leading to the crime rates, that are leading to excessive interaction with police. Police are showing up there because there's too much crime in those areas. And, and they're trying to, the police are trying to protect innocent citizens. So the first point of this is, you want to really do something for America? Get off your knee, get off your backside, Get into the, in the business of solving the problems that the inner cities face. This would be the actually loving your fellow man answer for these NFL players. Love your fellow man enough, concerned enough, get in there and solve the problems. Because if you solve inner city poverty, if you solve the education problem, the poor education problem in the inner city, if you have inner cities vibrant with jobs available and quality education available, the crime rate is going to go away. It's going to be greatly reduced. They're going to have the interaction with the police officers that, they, that have led to these horrible statistics. The second thing I want to say is, if you really have a gripe, if you just think, I don't have to try to fix it, I can just complain, I can make a protest against these police officers, you still should not disrespect the American flag. Think of all the African-American and every other hyphenated American group and 
Americans of every race and ethnicity who've served our country, who've gone to fight in foreign wars, like them or not, gone to popular or unpopular foreign wars, come back, either not come home at all, come home with grave injuries, come home with major league struggles, getting reintegrated back into American society. Think of those people who fought for the flag and get off your knee and get off your backside and stand up and salute the flag. The flag did not cause those police officers in the very few cases when there actually is excessive police brutality, excessive force. And there is excessive force sometimes. We're going to get to that in a moment. I guess I have three points on this. But the main thing about the the just disconnect between the watching something that is you think is a problem in American society and deciding your answer is not to honor the flag. You know, it's almost impossible to overstate the importance of the flag for what it symbolizes to the world, what it symbolizes to Americans, what it symbolized over the years. You know, think of those famous scenes where cleaning out the rubble on after the September 11th attacks, and they found a flag that had managed to not be destroyed in the in the destruction of the of the Trade Center towers in New York City, and they yanked the flag up and stuck it up. These are just. These are not just kind of sappy emotional moments. These are symbolic. The, the flag of the United States of America stands for what the people, people around the world have been craving for for centuries. It stands for freedom, liberty, opportunity. It stands for being secure in your homes. It stands for a country that is the one who's gone out in the world and defended the downtrodden, the mistreated, the, the oppressed since our inception. That's what America is. And you don't disrespect that. If you think, so this is my thir- second point, no matter how upset you are about uh, the, what you think is the police brutality, you need to respect the flag. And the third point has to do with whether or not what you're, the stories you're talking about, the stories you're getting outraged about with respect to police conduct. Are these isolated, rare, and random cases, which I will tell you the statistics prove are the the cases of excessive police force, of of brutality, are tiny portion of overall police conduct. America has great system in place to stop that. If we need to improve that system in terms of holding officers accountable, then work on that project. But don't disrespect the flag. So, and you know, this is another, this another outcome of this division of America we're talking about on this podcast. We've had politicians playing along with lies about the police department, lies about statistics, about how frequent these incidences are of which police do engage in excessive force. We have let lies, lies sit and fester because we don't have enough brave politicians speaking the truth about the goodness of the American people and the goodness of the American police. This is Debbie George Jazz. We're on this America Can We Talk podcast series. Let's talk more. Come back for one more segment, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Hillary. You need to know. destination for premium talk radio with all the crazy weather in texas you never know when mother nature might strike there's hail tornadoes floods fire hurricanes and so many more when tragedy strikes we all need someone to turn to 
John Irwin is a licensed and bonded public insurance adjuster right here in DFW and has a stellar reputation as the guy you can count on for all your claim adjustment needs. John is the man you need when the unpredictable occurs. John can handle just about any weather damage you can think of and more. From hurricanes to water leaks, from lightning to vandalism, John Irwin can help. Don't wait. Give John a call today at 972-372-4990. That's 972-372-4990. Or visit us online at insurance911claimspecialist.com. That's insurance911claimspecialist.com. I was leaving an exercise class. All of a sudden, the pain started. My entire chest. Shortness of breath. Very fatigued. Nauseated. Thought that it was nothing much, maybe just stress. You're having a heart attack. I'm healthy, I'm young. There's no way it could be my heart, no way. Heart disease doesn't discriminate. Listen to your body, go get checked. Heart disease is the number one killer in women. And this is something that we can fight. Visit GoRedForWomen.org to learn a woman's risk for heart disease. The world of real estate moves fast and technology needs to be able to keep up with it. If agents and home buyers aren't able to communicate in real time, opportunities can swiftly be missed. With Reallocator, the communication gap has finally been bridged. Hi, I'm David Mays, co-founder of Reallocator. I've been a real estate broker for the past 10 years and came from the frustration of buyers not being able to reach agents instantaneously. So that's what we created on demand. Potential buyers now have the ability to immediately connect with a nearby agent, making the home buying process quick, easy, and convenient. Reallocator is free to download. Just grab your smartphone, open the app, see available agents in your area, and connect instantaneously. Reallocator is also the perfect tool for any real estate professional. For real estate professionals, it's a lead generating monster because you know you could be at the office doing paperwork and you're gonna be able to generate these leads in real time. Download your free version of Reallocator on the Apple iTunes Store today or visit the website at www.reallocator.com. For America's wounded warriors, Coming home can sometimes be a battle in itself. Making the transition back to civilian life or active duty with a traumatic injury can be the challenge of a lifetime. The USO provides every American a way to support our wounded warriors and their families through every phase of their medical treatment and rehabilitation. It's how all of us, as a community, can give something back to our heroes. It's how we can say thank you and assure them that their sacrifice is recognized and appreciated by every one of us. Join us. Visit USO.org to learn how you can make a difference in the lives of our wounded warriors and their families. The USO. Until everyone comes home. Debbie Georgiatis. I just love the music that we have on our show. My radio show is called America Can We Talk, and this podcast series is Let's Talk More. It's always about America, and this music we have is by the singer is Krista Branch, and she's got a great website. I urge you to check out her music, and actually her husband writes the music, 
and the lyrics, and she sings it, and they're just phenomenal songs. So anyway, uh, this is our podcast, Always Races By, on this uh, Monday after my Sunday night show. And we've been talking about the division in American society that just so many have been commenting on. Uh, and yesterday was the 15th anniversary of the attacks of September 11th, uh, 2001. And I want to um, have this last section. You know, we're in this 2016 election cycle. I strongly believe, I, I can present much more evidence than I have today, that the division in society is in large part created by politicians. It's created by people who just, to win political favor, to win votes, engage in the effort to make Americans afraid, suspicious, resentful, jealous of fellow Americans. This is the Democrat Party's MO. It is to convince black Americans, as Bill Clinton was trying to do, we played that segment earlier, trying to convince black Americans that when a candidate runs on Make America Great Again and talks about a strong foreign policy and strong national defense and rebuilding jobs in America, it's really a sinister secret message that he is trying to in some way harm black Americans. This is evil engaged in by Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. The whole effort, instead of selling their ideas, selling their policies, they're selling fear. They are manufacturing fear within the American population. And it is absolutely, I can't even think of a strong enough word. I'm really at a lack of, it's just, just it, it is so evil and so bad. And the best thing that could happen would be a big fat rejection of this by the American voters in the election this fall. But I'm going to turn to the last thing, talking about Hillary, um, this being the day after September 11th. Um, on yesterday, on September 11th, 2016, Hillary Clinton had a very major um, health episode. This was uh, in public. She was at the uh, Ground Zero Memorial celebration. So in New York City, they had a big memorial for... Um, remembering the victims of 9-11 and, you know, honoring their families and thanking the first responders. It was just a, you know, lovely and thing that happened around the country. There were things like this. And um, so Hillary was there and it was, uh, the reports vary, it was between 79 and 82 degrees. So it was a very lovely, lovely day, uh, you know, early fall day. And then if it, that was in Texas, you know, since the summers are hot here, that's probably like a almost winter day. Not really, but you know, it's a very pleasant day to be outside. And Hillary um, had to leave the event early and had to be helped to the van. They had a van pull up and she literally couldn't walk. I mean, she was being held up by people. She collapsed. You saw her head bob bobbing. She collapsed. They had to literally like toss her into the waiting van to get her out of there. She was, she could not move. And in fact, she was in such a rush that she, they drove off. She lost one of her shoes. It remained there, a shoe. And as my friend said earlier, you know, she was in trouble if a woman leaves a shoe behind. But okay, I digress. On the subject of Hillary, so this is now um, the latest among many episodes in this campaign cycle where people question Hillary Clinton's health. What happened after that was she was taken to, she, the story was they took her first to Chelsea's apartment. Her daughter, Chelsea, lives in New York City. They took Hillary there. She was there an hour and a half or so, came out of the building, uh, walking by herself, you know, waving, hey, no big deal, I'm fine, you know, just got a little overheated. And then later in the day, then they took her back, her drivers took her back to her home in Chappaqua, and then her doctor visited her, and they announced last night that she uh, has pneumonia, that in fact she was diagnosed this past Friday. So it's now, you know, two days before this occurred. 
this diagnosis of pneumonia happened, and she's on an antibiotic, and she'd been told to lay low and relax, but she wanted to go to the memorial. I want to just say a couple of things about this that are just, um, again, it goes back to the division of America. If you're running for the most powerful, powerful position in the world, the American people are entitled to know if you're healthy. They're actually entitled to know that. And they're entitled to ask questions. And what's happened, in fact, I did a a TV interview this morning where among the things that was asked right away was, well, don't you think this is just the media? This is just the Republicans picking on Hillary because she's a woman. She's being held to a higher standard because she's a woman and they're trying to make this out to be a bigger deal than it was, you know, so she has pneumonia. She's got her antibiotics. She'll be fine. Folks, I want to remind you when John McCain ran for president in 2008, the idea that questions about Hillary's health are sexist are A, divisive. It's the usual Hillary Clinton tactic of shutting down anyone who dares to challenge the queen. Anyone who dares to question anything about her is instantly the recipient of invective, name-calling, and this is what Hillary and is having her little supporters in the media do. Call people sexist if they dare to raise a question about her health. But let me remind you of John McCain. When John McCain ran for president just you know, eight, eight years ago, 2008, here are just a brief smattering of headlines. There were dozens of these and all these left-wing websites. Here are just a few. U.S. News & World Report in May of 2008. McCain's age and past health problems could be an issue in the presidential race. Huffington Post, which was relentless on this, September 30th, 2008. Is John McCain mentally fit to be president? Slate, June 11th, 2008. How might the senator's mind deteriorate over the next eight years? And NBC News, an AP report, September 30th, 2008. One in four chance McCain may not survive second term, which he wasn't running for. He's running for his first term. The point is, the media happily and regularly attacks and questions anything about conservatives. Certainly John McCain's health was being questioned at a time he remained robustly active during this campaign. But you have the same kind of questions coming from conservatives because the media is just, they're falling in line with the Hillary Clinton marching orders. Once I say the story's over, the story's over. I've said I'm healthy, no more conversation. And the media is trying to salute to her to say, okay, well, she says stop talking about it. better stop talking about it. That's what they're trying to do. But Hillary Clinton, her health actually does matter. It does matter if she is... You know, she's been coughing now since January. The last time I had the count, it was like 13 or 14 major coughing fits interrupting a speech. Now, I have to tell you, folks, you know, anyone, almost everyone's had some time where they have a coughing fit, but not when you are, you know, making big speeches, when you are 14 times in a major presidential campaign. She couldn't keep it together on her airplane. She had media on the airplane with a simple, low-key, hey, Hillary, you know, tell us why you're great kind of interview. She couldn't even finish the interview. So her health does matter. It's not sexist to ask. In fact, it's divisive of the American left and divisive of the American media to call people who want to call into question her health to call them sexist. Folks, this is stuff. The only one who can stop the media from doing this kind of stuff 
is you. Is you who say, you know, actually, I'm going to keep asking questions. I'm going to keep questioning whether or not she is healthy. And she has to answer the questions. And I'll tell you something else. I said in my TV interview this morning, too, if you're healthy and robust and you, you're full of vim and vigor, you keep a much busier schedule than Hillary Clinton does. Donald Trump is on the campaign trail every day, one or two events a day, big events, big arena events. He's just on fire. He may be two years older than Hillary, but he acts about 20 years younger. She takes three and four day breaks only then to go off onto a, a million a fundraiser where she's going to raise a million dollars or more in some fancy hotel. She's not with the people. She's not part of the whole campaign feel. And the truth is, in part, it's because nobody wants to come to her events. When they have events, no one comes. And I think it's been started to embarrass her. But you can't say, I stay home, I barely campaign, I cough all the time, I collapse in public, but no one can question my health. Or if you question my health, you're a sexist. Sorry, Hillary, that's not reality. Okay, the last thing, I only have one minute left. I just want to mention, there was a big story that was on the Claremont, um, uh, a, a story, a, an article on the Claremont.org website and was called the Flight 93 Election. And the basic argument was really talked about in great length this week on, on various talk shows. And it was an article essentially saying, no matter where you are on the spectrum of the, on the right side of the aisle, if you are wherever you are in the Republican spectrum, but it's certainly, especially if you're a conservative Republican, you've got to give in and get behind Donald Trump, whether you like him or not, because the country cannot afford former years of Hillary Clinton. The analogy he made was on Flight 93 on September 11, 15 years ago. You know, the people sitting in those seats realizing terrorists had taken over the plane, they'd taken over the cockpit, they had to decide, sit in your seats and know you're going to die, or stand up, charge the cockpit, make an effort to take over the plane, and maybe you'll survive. You'll probably still die, but you might survive. It's making that analogy to America that's saying, we're at the precipice, we're at the cliff, and we better take charge of this country and bring Trump in because we can't have Hillary. And my two cents on this, and I'll have to save it for another day to fill it out, but there will never be a Flight 93 election in America. Never, ever, because the idea of America is a permanent idea that cannot be crushed by anyone. This is Debbie Georgiatis. This is our Let's Talk More series of America Can We Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week. You're listening to RNCN, the number one source for premium talk radio.